Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. I'm Duncan McLeod. Last few episodes uh, before we take a year-end break here at Tech Central. We've got some great interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't done so yet, please do subscribe to us. You can do that directly on YouTube at youtube.com slash techcentral. Or you can sign up to our newsletter at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter and you'll be alerted at 5 a.m. every morning about the latest local and international tech shows and all the latest episodes of TC Daily. Now, Roynet, a JSE-listed, uh, can I call them a technology company, Alan? Uh, probably an industrial company is probably a slightly better descriptor okay. of what we are. So we've got uh, more than just a technology involved in it, so probably industrial company is, is our what we best know right. as. But you have assets in the ICT Absolutely. space. Uh, you've historically been in the defense market. I want to ask you a bit about that. But uh, before we get into all this, let me introduce you first. Uh, Alan Dixon is Chief Executive of Roynet. Uh, Alan, it's really good to see you, and thanks for making the time to come into the studio. You put out some good, a good set of results, full-year results, I think it was uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in some detail. But uh, thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me, Duncan. It's great to be here. Great. So, Roynet, it's been around for a heck of a long time doing research for this interview. I discovered that the company was founded in 1888. And if my maths is correct, that's 134 years ago, uh, which is quite an ast astonishing innings. Uh, I don't think there are many companies in South Africa that have been uh, operating for that amount of time. We were talking just before the show, maybe a few of the banks, maybe a couple of the mining houses. But apart from that, uh, there can't be too many companies that can, that can say they've been around for 134 years, Alan. No, absolutely. And I, I think um, we'd also just mentioned, that, I mean, we've been listed for since 1948. So we've been mm. listed for almost 75 years. And we had a, a, a ceremony at the JSC in 2018. And they'd indicated that other than the breweries, the banks and the mines, we were um, amongst a very small handful mm. of listed entities that, that were still around. And I think if you add and go back to the very formation in 1888, it's, uh, there's very few that have been around that long. And I think it talks a lot to the ability of Ruinet over the years to be able to evolve with uh, changes that take place in, in the economy and, and to move with it. And we're sort of in one of those phases again now. Right. But I think it does talk a little bit around a bit of a Ruinet culture and a Ruinet identity that uh, is pretty resilient and invariably finds a way to be successful, um, almost irrespective of the, the yes. economic environments that we, that we find ourselves in. South Africa, we've, we've, we've had a few of those. Well, tell us a bit about that culture, because it, it, it must be quite interesting, because given, you know, there, there, are, there have been big shifts in, in uh, particularly in the IT industry, the changes sure. are, are constant. Um, one company that comes to mind that has adapted to some very significant shifts over time is Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they uh, you know, where, where other companies went bust when the internet came along, Microsoft repurposed itself, reinvented itself, got perhaps into a little bit of trouble along the way with antitrust authorities, etc. But has been very success successful in doing that, whereas other companies have fallen by the wayside. But Roynet is one of those companies that is, seems able to reinvent itself whenever the industry or market conditions change. What is that culture that allows you to do that? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we've got a, uh, we're very much a hands-on group, but I think if I just pick up on something like Nashua as an example, I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned technology and it's maybe particularly um, uh, interesting at, at, uh, for this, uh, this engagement. Mm -hmm. So Nashua actually celebrates its 50th year in, in 2023. So, so they've been around. And what's interesting to us and when we think about it, um, we have this common thread of technology that's run through that entire 50 years. You know, 50 years ago, print was the technology. It was new. It was sexy it was all of those type of things yeah. that evolved from physical print into uh, electronic print um, but Nashua today is uh, has evolved itself from its print legacy business which mm -hmm. is still there but it's completely modernized and it's it's electronic uh, into a 
what we call a total workspace provider. So it has taken that core technology that it has and core enver- environment that it has, but evolves it over time as the environment changes. But I think the, the culture is really around a, a, a culture of, of hands-on. Uh, we, uh, we're proud, we're ethical, um, we do the right things, we do the right things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've got that coupled with some good business acumen, mm-hmm. you set yourself up and, and give yourself a decent chance to evolve um, with, with the world as it changes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So let's go all the way back. Founded sure. in 1888, uh, really a, a, a different world, I, I guess, uh, by two gentlemen, Theodore Reunert and Otto Lenz. They sound yeah. German. Uh, Austrian? I, 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 European, let's call it. I, that's the best I can give you. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure where, <laughs> okay. what, what their history is. This is ancient history yeah. now. Um, they presumably came to South Africa. They, they uh, did, quickly yeah. became specialists in lighting and electricity transmission. As you mentioned, the business listed in 1948. It was known as Reunert and Lens until 1983 yeah. uh, when the Lens part was dropped. Uh, I'm not sure why he was <laughs> treated badly, but his name was dropped from the from the company's name. But um, originally it was involved in, in well, it still is an industrial company, but um, real industrial applications related to electricity generation, power, power generation. I, I, I imagine this is long before even ESCOM was founded as a company. Certainly in 1888 it very much was. I mean, ESCOM was, was much later than that, um, and it was specific to Johannesburg. So this was on the back of the the mining boom and, and the oh. need that they had as um, as the mining operations were increasing, the the, the Ronit and Lens were true entrepreneurs. Because yeah, Johannesburg sense. was founded in 18, 1886, I think. That's correct. Yeah. So that two years later, Ronit was founded. Absolutely, mm. and, and these were these were entrepreneurs who came out and and leveraged off this rapid growth and the need for electricity in a in a sort of a booming mm. uh, uh, environment, and and that's where they kicked it off from, and it and it sort of spread from there. Amazing, amazing. So when, when did um, Roynet get into ICT and office automation? I presume those were acquisitions that were made along, along the way, like Nashua, for example. Yeah, um, but I mean, we've been in Nashua for, for as long, certainly, as I can remember. Right. So, so certainly um, when Roynet um, then was spun out, we picked up a whole lot of the, when uh, Barlow's uh, spun out to, into what it is today, Barlow's, right. many of the assets that came out of that ended up in, in Roynet. Yeah. So I call it the rejuvenation of Roynet, say, was in the mid-90s. Um, and we've had the th- same three segments as we have now, mm. um, electrical engineering, ICT, and it was pure defense back then. Um, those were the core uh, segments that Ronit has had, and we've had them ever since. So, I mean, we've certainly been involved in ICT, electrical engineering, and, and defense for decades. decades. Yeah, Barlow. So Ronit was owned by Barlow's at one point. Correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. So we have lots of those ethos uh, yeah. still in, in, our, in terms of the financial ma- management that we have and those type of um, uh, principles that mm. we would have in terms of, of that strong yeah. governance and management that comes out of that, that Barlow's so it, stable. So it goes back a very long way, I think, to the 1980s or early 1990s when Barlow's was being unbundled. That's right, yes. If I remember correctly, Persatel, the big IT group, was part of Barlow's as well, and that was also part of the unbundling, and that eventually became uh, BCX and was now part of Telcom, of course. Yeah. Uh, all part of that same same group. It was a big industrial conglomerate holding company that owned large tracts of the South African economy, right? Pretty much like Anglo-American did as well back in those days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that, I think that was the nature of the South African economy back in those days. And, you know, what, what Ronit did is those assets that were spun out of Barlow's, they've either been tidied up, um, new acquisitions have come into it and, and eaten up and end up with the asset grouping that we've got, mm-hmm. we've got today. Okay. And, and according to the history I was reading on your website, uh, 
Um, the group then acquired controlling stakes in Nashua around that time, as well as in a company called Aromatic, which I don't think is around anymore. I think there must have been an air conditioning company. It certainly sounds like it. So yeah. we, we, for many years, had the uh, Panasonic agency and a number, in fact, of, of Japanese agencies pre call it the, the evolution where, mm. where the Korean uh, involvement really, uh, consumer electronics really started to change that. So we yeah. had quite a large consumer electronics business back in the, back in the day. We were the agent, like I say, for Panasonic uh, for National uh, for a while and, and so mm. on. But uh, I would guess early 2000s, um, that, that was wound down and, and, and closed up largely. So we've right. got none of those, those interests in, in the consumer electronics space anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, around the mid-1990s, you started to enter the ICT market in a, in a big way, and that was around the time of the launch of Vodacom yeah. and MTN, and uh, Nashua entered the mobile market with the launch of Nashua Mobile, uh, and that, that independent service provider market was actually quite a big uh, uh, space for a while. It got shut down later by the mobile operators as margins squeeze happened and they bought out some of these companies. Who bought Nashua Mobile in the end? It was one of the operators bought it out, right? Yeah, we sold the base back to each of the individual um, uh, MNOs. So, oh, so Vodacom right. bought its base, MTN theirs, and, and Celsi theirs. So effectively, we just sold the base back to back to the MNOs. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was, I think it was a good acquisition, um, or a good uh, disposal, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, it was done at the right time. Um, yes. You know, some of the other guys who had that model did it about two years later and, and uh, didn't quite get the... The value, that, the value that, that we were I remember you were it. one of the early exits and yeah. everyone was saying, why are you getting out of this lucrative uh, the, market? Yeah. Yeah, the writing was on the wall. I mean, mm. the, the, the M&Os had cut the margin to, mm. uh, to our service providers or to us um, so for sort of two consecutive contracts and yes. it, it wasn't going to be reversed. And when yeah. we looked at what had happened elsewhere in the world uh, and the way in which the market had, mm. had moved, um, it, was, it was fairly clear to us that yes. that was going to be and the best way was to exit when, when the value was the highest we could yeah. get it. We couldn't. Yeah, envisage that we could get more value than we than we actually did. Now you've you've had a quite an, an interest in the telecommunications industry. Subsequent to that, you've um, um, not only through National Mobile, but you've also made an acquisition in 2011 of a company called ECN. Yeah, that had led to a major lawsuit with the founder, and there was a That's lot of right, acrimony yeah. around that. Is that all resolved now? Yeah, it's, it's all sort of uh, you know we've we, we, it was effectively a uh, it was a dispute around. Um, competition and and what should have happened in in terms of of, of the exiting shareholders uh, non competing or right. not competing with us and they continue to do that for a period of time, but it's all uh, you know it's long in the history. It's Water something. The yeah, place. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and just more recently, I think about four years ago, you acquired a business called Skywire. That's right. Yeah, and uh, they're a provider of um, of broadband wireless solutions and other telecommunications solutions. Telecommunications, how important is is that to the Roynet stable? So, so if I just look at the uh, at that ICT segment, um, mm. we've basically got four what we call clusters in that in that business. The first is Total Workspace Provider, which is under the Nashua brand or, or is Nashua. We've then got Business Communications, which has got ECN and Skywire in it. We've got Rental-Based Finance, uh, which effectively pri- provides finance to those two businesses for, for for what they need to do under a brand called Quince. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the Solutions and Systems Integration, the newest cluster, which has got the uh, Plus One X. Mm-hmm. Uh, company in that. So um, that business communications cluster, it's material. So, you know, we typically a cluster in our world is 100 million rands worth of operating profit or more. And, and that cluster comfortably meets that, mm-hmm. that hurdle. So, um, you know, it's, it's material there. It's not the two biggest are, are Nashua and the f- uh, rental finance. Um, but the next biggest then is business communications. And okay. it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it's a sizable business. Yeah. You know, ECN is the the largest independent VoIP service provider in the country. So we put about 
well over a billion minutes a year over that network. It was originally designed primarily as a as a voice network. That's that's what it was built at. It was a dedicated voice network and uh, something that that was very successful and has grown really well for us over over the years. But as the world was changing, um, we recognized that the connection point into a business, um, if we only owned the voice connection, uh, there was a real risk that we were going to lose that customer over time as the data and the voice Mm. was going to converge into a single connection point. And if you didn't own the data point into a customer, you were likely to lose both. Mm -hmm. So the move into Skywire, into last mile broadband connectivity was sort of twofold. First of all, strategic was to make sure that we could have the single pipe into a into a customer and mm-hmm. we would then own both the voice and, and the data. And obviously then last mile broadband connectivity was in a rapidly growing growing market of its mm-hmm. own right. So it was both a strategic to protect the, the ECN base and allow it to continue to grow, um, but then also for the growth that would come out of last mile broadband connectivity and then the over-the-top services mm-hmm. that will come to those customers in the fullness of time. So that's been a, that, that's been a, a good acquisition for us and, and that together we've now moved from a fixed line voice business into an integrated end-to-end communications provider for our chosen market, which is, we call it a small and medium uh, customer base. And we typically look at a thousand people and below is where our ICT businesses tend to target. Mm -hmm. And and we do very nicely in that space. Now, Alan, I've always associated, and I think many people have associated Roynet with Bull Pretorius. And uh, you were telling me before we started that he unfortunately passed away last year. Yeah, it was it was a very sad story. So he did he he fell ill and um, and passed away about September last year. Okay, how long had he been CEO for? Yeah, he was chief executive for thirteen years before he retired. He Not like he'd been there forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For us who worked for him, it also felt a little bit like that. <laughs> no, he was. Uh, I mean, he, he gave me my first opportunity as a managing director post uh, okay. back then. So uh, yeah, I I uh, both at an executive level, I I uh, sort of worked under him for about 10 years and then as a managing okay. director for a couple of years. And uh, then he moved on, I guess, around 2010, I think, was, was when he, he moved on. Moved on, okay. Retired and there have been a couple of CEOs since then. You took yeah. over when? I took it at the end of 2014, so 1st okay. of October 2014. Was oh, so you've been in the job for some time now. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, eight years. Eight years, okay. And uh, what is your background, Alan? You've been with the group for a, for a long time, but where, where did you start your career? Yeah, I'm, so I'm an engineer by training um, and um, started my career as, a, as an engineer in the cables plant, actually, down in, down in the Vile Triangle. Okay. So worked a pure technical... Uh, for Roynet. For, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we have a, cables, a power cables plant, um, which is based down in, in the Vile Triangle, and it was... It, it wasn't. It was my first job for Ronit. I had a go at acad- academia for a little while. I worked in consulting for a couple of years, okay. and then my first job within Ronit was down in the in, in, in the cable plant. Um, so started down in a pure technical job. Moved into we that that business has a, a very nice business which does high voltage projects, which mm-hmm. is a turnkey business. Uh, so I got an opportunity to run that, which actually brings together commercial and technical, uh, which was which was quite nice for something I was looking for. And then eventually moved that, headed up commercial, became the MD. And, mm-hmm. and so on, and eventually just moved through various roles, through various roles mm-hmm. to, to where I find myself today. Okay. You're, you're the, the, the two companies that I've always kind of associated with are the Roynet and then, of course, the Ultron Group. Yes. Um, Ultron has uh, exited a lot of those um, legacy power tech industrial yep. businesses that they used to own. You, you haven't really. You still own a lot of those. Um, wh- why the divergence in the strategy between the two groups? Why, why did you see that sort of, if a legacy business, if I can call it that, or the the, the hardcore industrial business as still valuable to Roynet? 
Yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's a great question. I mean, and it, it, they, we had completely different strategies. Mm. Around about 2017, I think, um, was, was the PowerTech disposal, and effectively Ultron has exited in its entirety. Mm. They, they have no more of the PowerTech assets at all. They sold them all down. My sense is when I think about electrical infrastructure, which is what those two businesses do, um, electrical infrastructure grows. If an economy grows and the population grows, you, you have to provide power to mm. those. So the long-term trend does indicate that there is sustainability around those. Look, I think at the height of the Zuma era, um, lots of what was going on in state procurement um, wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've kind of weathered our way through that and, and found ourselves now repositioned to it. But at the same time that, that uh, say, Altron was exiting, we went into renewable energy. So I think that mm-hmm. was part of, again, if you think about this revitalization of it, uh, my approach to it on the one side was to say, look, Electricity is going to happen. I had big concerns around the state of, of municipalities in Eskom and renewable energy was starting to show its face. So that kind of rejuvenates that electrical engineering environment and that will give us longevity in my view in that electrical engineering, particularly in the, ca- in the cable space uh, where that will start to play out. Um, and then the other asset that sits in, in that segment is called circuit breakers. And whilst the cables business, because of the nature of, of just the industry, it, it's more of a, you know, you can export that a couple of thousand kilometers from where you make it, but it's quite hard to export around the world. Mm-hmm. Circuit breakers we make in, in our, our factory here in Johannesburg, we export 66% of what we make. Wow. Um, and it's, yeah, my favorite story is that we sell our circuit breakers against the, a Chinese product in China wow. and into the Chinese high-speed rail signaling network. So it's one of the markets that we sell into and have been there for Years, but it's one of my feel-good stories for South Africans is that with homegrown IP product made here, we've actually got it in China against Chinese product, and we sell price those competitive. products. Price competitive in, in that case, yes, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So, so it's you know we, we can do it here, and, and so I think there's a bit of a blend in that electrical engineering in that the CBI is a, a global business, so it, it is readily available to, um, so long as you do your business well, to mm-hmm. continue to expand. And I had a, a, we've got a rejuvenated sort of, power transmission and distribution business, I think now with yeah, renewable energy that comes into that. And okay. I think that electrical engineering segment will and has got the legs to be, to be successful going forward. And uh, after a difficult couple of years, recovered nicely last year, recovered even better again this year and, and looking good uh, ahead again now as, as things start to get sensible. Okay. And, and uh, are you picking up uh, business from ESCOM? Is, are are, are thing, uh, things improving on that score? So Eskom, look, Eskom, I think is constrained, um, and I think they're constrained for still some time. But um, you know, they lots of work going into into um, generation. Mm-hmm. So we do get business from Eskom. Um, if I go back a decade uh, when they were at their peak, we probably get about a third now uh, to compared to what we would have got back in its peak days. So just to give you a relative of mm-hmm. how much they're spending, I think the split out of Eskom into its three components of generation, transmission, and distribution is probably the trigger for the next big investment into, in my view, the transmission network will right. probably be the next big uh, investment that Eskim will make. So I think um, five years out from now, I think Eskim will be a different, uh, a different animal and, and we'll be back to procuring a lot more. But Eskim is a, it's a nice customer for us. Um, we're very grateful for the business, but relative to where it once was, it's, it's quite a lot smaller. Sure. So, so yeah. our, our customer base is a lot more diverse than it once was. What does the liberalisation of the energy sector mean for Rona to you? Um, I mean, we've seen the yeah. president announcing the lifting of the cap on on generation. Yeah. Uh, is that <coughs> going to be a big fillip for the, your electrical engineering division? It, it certainly is, and and it, it's 
two parts to it, so if I could just break it into it. <clears throat> we have utility scale liberalization, so that's what's known as the REIPP program, mm -hmm. and there it comes out in Windows. They're doing Windows 5 at the moment, and there they build very large plants, and primarily it's Eskom who's the, the off-taker. The, yeah. These are signed with them and backed by Treasury. In those businesses, we supply balance of plants, so we effectively take power from whether it's a wind turbine or a, or a solar plant, and we take it to the, the substation. So that's very good, <coughs> excuse me, for the cables plant because they pick up the cables for that, and over the years it's been very good mm. business. So that falls into cable. And then what we call renewable energy is defined as embedded generation. So that embedded generation is generation for own use, mm -hmm. and that's where this 1 megawatt to 100 megawatt cap um, plays out in, in their world. So I sort of draw an analogy. It's almost like... Um, Telcom 20 years ago, where you sort of had you had a cell phone because you mm. didn't want a telecom account. What we are seeing, certainly in the CNI space, is that if you've got any type of electricity demand, you're looking for an alternate of some description mm -hmm. to either Eskimo or the municipality. So we've seen a, a big increase in in that market. It's looking good, and and that is going to be a big filler for us, uh, both in the cables on the utility scale, but also in the embedded generation for our. What we, what's our renewable energy business, right. which has got a couple of elements to it, which we'll probably unpack in just a moment. Sure, sure. But take, take us through your renewable energy business and, uh, and uh, uh, what you're, you're doing there. You're doing a lot of work in solar. Yeah. Are, are you aiming, what, what size customer are you aiming at? What sure. sort of projects are you involved in? So we've, we, we're typically, we're sort of breaking it up. So although this cap has gone up to 100 megawatts, what we've seen and kind of what we anticipated is once you get above about 20 megawatts or so, mm -hmm. It's effectively ut a utility-scale project in any event because yeah. it's only the very largest users who would have that type of demand. Um, and what we've seen now, Anglo signed with EDF. So those plants and that demand is big enough for the international players with low-cost international funding to come into it. And I think it'll be difficult for the South Africans to really compete uh, at that upper end of the embedded generation. And I think that will sit quite similar to what we see in the REIPPs where it will be the international guys who will play and will sort of play in the balance of plant type mm -hmm. environment. So that sort of means our target market or addressable market, if you want to call it that, is is the sort of 20 megawatts and, and below largely, that right. type of environment. Um, but that's a very rich. I mean, if you look at the industrial base and, and the uh, commercial base of South Africa, 95%, I guess, of, of companies fit squarely there. It's been our traditional target market and it's where we have a very strong position. So we see this burgeoning um, demand there and we address that, first of all, through solar. Um, we've got a company called Terra Firma Solutions that supplies solar solutions and we'll either build you a solar solution on your own balance sheet, so we'll just make it and hand it over to you and do the sale. Mm -hmm. But we're also interested in and increasingly investing into our own assets in which we'll sell you power on a power purchase agreement over 10 years, as an example. They are typically of that nature and we'll actually sell you electricity. Um, and those two markets are in the solar space, uh, what we do uh, in that environment. Mm -hmm. We've then got a company called Blue Nova. Um, the next natural evolution of that is into storage. Um, storage has sort of got four markets. It's got the off-grid. So these are your game lodges and what have you. And that's, it's a pitch diesel versus battery. And it's mm -hmm. a bit of a no-brainer. Um, we've been selling into that for some time. The next big market is load shed, what causes or to offset against load shedding. And yep. whether you be telecoms, a consumer, it doesn't really matter. It's to get yourself through the two hours that, that Eskim isn't there. And that's really been, I mean, it's flying. You can you can just imagine mm -hmm. as much as we can make, we're, we're kind of selling. Then we have the third is um, where you start to get into grid-tied storage. Now, this in some cases, this will go into renewable plants because renewable energy sources are variable. 
you need to build a little bit of stability into that just to help support the grid in times when either the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't blow right. that, that well. And then you can also put it into embedded generation alongside the solar. And there are some quite fancy tricks that you can do in terms of optimizing energy efficiency by injecting the solar um, at times when electricity specifically is very expensive. Okay. Um, and those economics already work. So all th- four of those markets in different uh, stages of maturity, um, but are, are we're well developed, developed and has, have a very nice uh, leadership position in, in South Africa through Blue Nova. Can you keep up with demand? Um, yes, we can. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, certainly the, the input to that, um, we, we order well in advance, um, so we can. Uh, we're under quite a bit of pressure. Um, but yeah, I would argue that we can keep up. But I mean, I think if it if it peaks over and above what we what we're seeing at the moment, it may put us under a bit of pressure. But you know, that business kind of doubled last year, and we were able doubled. to keep abreast <laughs> of it. So right. you know, it gives. I think if you, uh, it, it takes a little bit of working capital and, and yeah. some planning, and and the ships need to arrive at the same time mm. uh, or the right time rather. But yeah, I, I think we can manage it. Okay, I was going to ask: Do you do any local manufacturing of solar kits and uh, batteries or anything like that? Yeah. So we all we import is a cell. Okay. Uh, and then everything else. So that's. What Blue Nova does is it understands what the customer needs, and then it builds the smarts on top of it. Mm-hmm. So we, ha- so the build, the the um, battery management system, the electronics that control it, the monitoring, all of that is our own tech, our own IP, and that's what they and that's what they do. So nominally, so we do the, the fabrication, the assembly, the, the management system on top of that. All of that is done in South Africa. Amazing. So so, so where, where's this factory? Um, we've we had one in. in uh, in Pretoria and one down in Somerset West. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually moving into a new factory in about a month um, just because it's, it's just got too big. So it's an integrated new factory that we've just built in Somerset West. And we, I think we actually officially opened it around about the 27th of January, if I remember correctly. So, and that'll be a fully integrated facility where we'll pretty much pull everything into, into one. All of our assembly, storage, um, after-sales service will all be in a single facility. So brand spanking new and quite excited about, about that for, for early January. So this is all related to solar panels and... and, and That's solar. just batteries. Just batteries? That's just batteries, okay. yeah. So, so, so we actually run these... So, what we, so the, the, the Terra Firma Solutions, the solar business, solar, solar plants with panels and inverters, yeah. that's a standalone business and, and that runs independently of, of batteries. So okay. we, we, we've sort of... Although, although these things are converging... We've run them as individual business units, and then sort of at the top, we've mm. got people who pull them together because there is still a large portion of the market that just wants a solar plant or just wants a battery. And as these converge, I think five years from now, we might have a, an amalgamated business that sort of sells everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, you know, each of these businesses have got exciting growth plans. Uh, the market's changing. So we feel that keeping them dedicated into their own areas of, of specific um, uh, mm. focus actually provides better growth for them. And, th- and then we'll, we sort of, across the top, we look at how we integrate them and bring them together. Right. And I imagine there's the demand here is going to be with us for decades to come. Yeah. And there's also, must be a huge demand elsewhere in Africa. Are you, are you actively looking at other African markets as well with your solutions? We are actively looking, and I think there very much is that. You know, in, yeah. in many of the African countries, diesel is actually a, a mm. fairly predominant um, alternative. And in that place, you know, solar and batteries just make, uh, make, make a lot of sense. Yeah. So we are looking there, although the... The opportunity in South Africa is such that we want to, we don't want to overly focus elsewhere. We want to make sure that we, I mean, it's, it's always easy, a little bit easier typically to do business in your home backyard. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that that market is sufficient to meet our growth aspirations, we'll make sure we capture that and we don't lose our, our the whole, not, it's not the whole, the position that we have yes. in, in the country. Um, but 
also being cognizant that there, there will be a time some years from now where it'll start to taper off and then we need to make sure we've got a, mm-hmm. our, our international portfolio mm-hmm. in, in place. Mm-hmm. Now, as we look at your latest set of results, uh, you've, you've, you've got three broad divisions, as we mentioned. Uh, we've spoken about ICT, we've spoken about electrical engineering. The third one is applied electronics. Well, yeah. Just maybe give you a brief overview of what you do in that space. So as, as it happens at the moment, renewable energy does sit in, inside of there. because oh, does it? Just, okay. just because when we started it, it was quite small and on the electrical engineering side, we're running you know multi-billion rand factories. It's quite a different cultural management style that you've okay. got there to a, a business that's running smaller projects and, and growing very fast. So we put it into the applied electronics where it's a much more similar in size to the companies we have there. Okay. So we have renewable in, energy in there and then we have normally a defense business. And that defense business has got four legs to it. Mm-hmm. We do logistics, which is a basically a, uh, a business that monitors and manages and does O&M on existing assets, uh, specifically in South Africa. And then the other three businesses are largely um, export in nature. So we sort of export about two thirds of what we do. Then we have a radar business, so a high tech radar that does both defense and uh, mining uh, radars. We do a fuse, we have a fuse business and we have a communications, what we call secure communications, which is a high spec military radios with deep encryption. Mm-hmm. And we've got a company that then does the uh, subsets of the electronics that goes into all of these type of uh, uh, equipment that we sell. Okay, so t- that defense business has historically been quite a big, important part of, of, yeah. of Roynet. I imagine that's changed uh, in, in recent times. We've seen the trouble that Donnell has gotten into. Yeah. Um, how, how has that business shifted over time, given the challenges we've seen in the defense market in yeah, South Africa? Yeah, I mean, the big, the, I guess the biggest challenge has been it, they were very much South African businesses meeting South African needs, yeah. uh, to call it 20 years ago. Sure. So the big change, obviously, is South African spend has decreased quite a lot. There is still some nice projects that come out f- uh, from time to time, which we typically benefit from. So that's, that's still good. Local business is important. Um, the local customer is important, and we get, uh, we get a lot of support and mutual support that, that works into that. But probably the biggest change has then been to move into the international market. Mm-hmm. And uh, that business has very successfully transitioned into largely an, an export business, or at least half of what we do is export. Um, so the big move has been to find markets in which we have the product, the IP, and the price points to be able to sell into sure. those markets, and then to actively sell our products into those, which we've been able to do really successfully over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. So who are those international clients and what are you selling to them? Um, so we sell those secure communications as mm-hmm. radios. So radios either for, for air, land, or, or, or naval applications. Radar, similarly, um, typically naval and, and air applications for that. And then fuses um, into, uh, into a variety of, of customers. So the... Um, Militaries mainly. Uh, well, uh, defense, defense is companies. all military, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's all military in nature. Uh, we are... So let me just finish on that yeah, sure. say first. So we, we typically can't sell to the West. They have got plenty of their own capabilities to do that. So typically we sell to non-aligned entities. So Southeast Asia is a, is a attractive market for us where they value the quality of, of what we do, um, but also looking for a little bit, bit of independence from a, a NATO or a US uh, opportunity. And obviously they've got China on their doorstep, which, which creates the sort of geopolitical uncertainty. Um, our radars, however, um, you know, the, is at least equal. We have what we call a mining a mining radar. So this is a, a radar that sits in an open pit environment, and it monitors uh, slope stability. So this is looking for movements in the wall of the open pit, uh, and then gives early warnings where you can either move people or, or machinery away from uh, what's going to be a, a slide or a rockfall right. that's into that. And we're typically number two in the world for that. So again, we're there. We've taken traditional 
defense application technology and applied it to a, a commercial environment or a mining environment. So, so that's, that's sort of what we, what we do. So we have a bit of a blend. Most of it's defense, and, and we have a little bit of commercial okay. um, application to some of that defense technology we've been able to And repurpose. is the stuff manufactured here in South Africa? Everything's made in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So all the IP, the engineering for it is done locally. The IP is owned in South Africa. The manufacturing is done here, and, and it's then exported around the world. Right. Do you think um, government could be or should be doing more to support manufacturing companies like Roynet in developing these sort of things? And if so, what should they be doing to help you guys? You know, the multiplier effect of manufacturing, I think it's, 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 it's fairly well known. Um, but the multiplier effect, uh, I think from memory now, I don't have the number at the tip of my tongue now, but it's one of the highest multipliers from a GDP point of view that exists because of the flow down into supply chain, right. um, into, uh, into employment and the like. So, you know, I think I, I think engine, uh, I think manufacturing is a an area in our country that I don't think we give enough attention to, and, and whether it be defence of this nature, because I mean we've proved in the defence industry as an example of where we we export billions of rands a year. So that that hard currency, those jobs that don't need a South African economy to be firing in all cylinders, um, is is an enormous opportunity that we can tap into. Mm-hmm. But even in our own. Um, industrial environment, the deindustrialization that's come around it um, over the last sort of decade, I, I think is a, something we really need to give attention to because of the job creation that's there and because South Africans, we're actually a, a really resilient bunch. And uh, when we get sort of wind in our, our sails, we, we do good things. Mm-hmm. So I think, but and then if, I think, guess the more important thing is what should they do? And, and I think the biggest thing for me is, is really around policy certainty. You know, that, that's where, again, we look at our industrial assets. You know, when we, when we make an investment, we don't, it's not a five-year investment. We don't amortize this thing over, over five years. We put a plant down, we want to run for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's that type of, of, like when you're putting billions into a, into a plant and the like. So, you know, if I think about mining, uh, this lack of new shafts that's going in because of all the uncertainty around that the mining industry has, um, you know, that, that has dwindled down in, in our consumption over, over the years. And, and that ripple down effect into mm. the broad manufacturing area is, is, is something that I think we could fix quite quickly if we just sorted it out and, and gave decent line of sight to the miners, as an example. And, and we yeah. see other packages of that around, um, around the country that I think we could, that I think we could work on. Um, we do have pockets of good. You know, the REIPP program worked really well. Yeah. Designation in that environment did work well. And I think if we expand that more and, and, and we, we create some of the policy certainty, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more momentum and people will be take much bigger chances in, in, in putting more capacity in and, and taking advantage and creating the jobs that go with it. The policy, is it there already? I mean, you mentioned that things started to deteriorate a decade ago. Um, is it just a case of the policies not being implemented correctly or do we need new policies to help the industry? So I think certainly in the mining case, it appears to me that, I mean, this argument about once empowered, always empowered, right. is, is that, that's a, it's a, uh, you know, there's uncertainty about which is it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and that takes away then the, the desire to, uh, to do further um, uh, investigation and, and to exp- do further development and the like. So I think in that case, there's some clarity that's required around it. I think in other cases, it's really around implementation. I mean, it, we, we the government's spoken about infrastructure for, for quite a long time. Um, there's private money available to go into these projects. What we need is bankable projects. We need transparent tendering systems. And again, that in my mind will create it. So in that case, you know, the, the, the triple PFA and the like, that's not massively flawed. 
it's more about the execution of the projects to get ourselves going. You know, mm. We need schools, we need roads, we need all of these yeah. elements to it. And we've stuff. got to get going, exactly. Mm. And I think mm. in that environment, it's more around execution, where I think on the mining side, there is some need to, 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 to clarify. Mm-hmm. Now, we are a tech publication, Alan, so I'm going to yeah. come back to <laughs> talking about tech before you wrap today. And sure. uh, a very interesting business that, uh, that you guys have started, um, being led by a former EOH executive, Rob Godlinton. Yeah. Uh, a company called Plus One X, which uh, is described as a new age, uh, I'm not quite sure what's meant by that term, but a new age system integrated business. Um, how important is Plus One X to Roynet? Um, and have you guys played in the systems integration business before? Sure. So systems integration, the true sense of the word, no. Um, so we haven't played in it before, but if I could just talk to you a little bit about um, what's transpired over the last uh, sort of five or six years yeah. in our ICT segment. What we did um, is we transformed the legacy assets. So Nashua, as I've mentioned, moved from print into now a total workspace. And it has now a suite of products. Um, you know, uh, probably 30% of its revenue now comes from, from non-print in that type of environment. It's all annuity and service-based. So really this move from a hardware business into a more service-led business. Mm-hmm. With uh, the business communications done something uh, similar where we, we used to sell PABXs, we now uh, sell a virtual switch with an annuity income on it, and and you know that makes up about twenty five percent of the GP of of that business. So we've effectively successfully converted these legacy businesses, which had some strategic uh, weaknesses in them, into far more sustainable entities in it. But now and then, looking at where to next within that ICT segment and sort of mapping it out. Our view was we wanted to move into what we call the top right quadrant. So this is into the environment in which the newer age ICT technologies are starting to play out, where the market fundamentals behind them are growing a lot faster. And typically, they've got slightly better margins into that space. So that's where we wanted to go into and augment this legacy set of assets, which grow slightly more slowly, but are strongly cash generative, and to utilize that cash to move into a slightly faster moving environment, which is the, call it the new age ICT. So in terms of strategic importance, um, Plus One X is very important to us because it brings to that ICT segment uh, an acceleration into the new age, an acceleration into an environment that's moving a little bit faster and hopefully slightly better margins that will play out. So strategically, it was very important. Um, Financially, at the moment, it's, it's the smallest asset that we've got. But we think that will pick up quite quickly over the next couple of years. So it will become increasingly important from a financial point of view. But right now, its most important element to us is the strategic value that it gives us and what we can build around that in that uh, solutions and systems integration cluster. Okay. And uh, you've been uh, making several, ac- made several acquisitions yeah. for Plus One X to, to, to bolster that business yes. and to add strategic arms to it. Um, how aggressive might you get in terms of acquisitions for Plus One X specifically? Yeah, so there's a couple of things we still need to do. So uh, again, just to talk about a little bit about the rationale about Plus One X, when we were looking for other acquisitions to try and enter this sort of top right-hand right. quadrant. Lots of what's out there had exactly the same problem that we'd already fixed at like in Nashua, is that they had this large legacy base that was slow growing mm. and under some margin pressure. And on top of that, they were trying to do the, the, the more service-led, uh, uh, more modern element to it. Yeah. So to acquire such a thing, I, I think just would have amplified our problem. So hence, we put some of our managed service capability, our unified comms together with uh, Plus One X, and we've sort of more organically Mm-hmm. through acquisition, try to build it out. And, and that's actually worked very successfully. So we've built out, we still need um, the two specific ones that we really do need. We need a security capability and we need a data capability. So those are two specific ones that we are 
very actively looking for at the moment, and we think we'll, we'll close something in the not-too-distant future, but that is really important for us to get a suite of call it end-to-end services under that plus one X that allows them to target the market in the way that they, they want to and to continue the, the good market share growth that they've mm-hmm. made so far. And then more broadly for the Roynet business, how, ex- how acquisitive is, is, is Roynet under your leadership? Are you, are you looking at uh, opportunities? And if you are, w- w- what excites you? Where do you think you'll be going with those acquisitions? So, so, so we look at, I mean, when I sort of, if I have to sort of sketch a, a Roynet business case for mm. you. So we find ourselves with the three segments. Um, electrical engineering, our view is that after a tough couple of years, there's still good prospects. We're actually seeing improved infrastructure investment. Um, and we anticipate that that will continue to grow back. And there's quite a large gap between where they were back in sort of the mid-2015, 16, 17 type environment and where we are now. So there's nice growth still there just to get back to where we were. ICT is in quite good shape. And applied electronics with the strong export drive and the big order books that we've got will also, we expect, to grow quite nicely. So that legacy part of Roynet, we think there's, there's good growth for. And then in our growth initiatives, are primarily focused about internationalization, and that is really around those exports, around ICT, and around the renewable energy. So our core ap- capital allocation is going to go into those three areas. Now, the, the, the allocation into internationalization is not that severe. We're not building assets overseas. We're basically opening sales capability mm-hmm. to improve our ability to transact in those countries whilst keeping our manufacturing here. So the big drive, and I call it normally 50-50 of our capital allocation, is into ICT acquisition and into um, and into renewable energy, and it'll probably be into those uh, renewable energy assets that we would like to own, so that it gives us a, a, a nice deep annuity income. Mm-hmm. So within that ICT space, which is probably the more acquisition environment that we're looking for, we're look, looking for for knowledge based businesses. We're not we're looking for businesses that typically are a little bit more capital light, faster growing that that address that that rapidly evolving um, uh, top right quadrant that, that, that we see in, in the ICT space. And, and that's what we're after. That's mm-hmm. what excites us. Well, looking at your latest set of financial results, it was full year that you reported. It was full year, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you certainly seem to be doing things right. The revenue, I think, was up 9%. Uh, your, uh, it was 9%. No, right? it's a little bit more. Though. I think revenue was up 16%, 16% and operating profit also up by 16%. 16%. How do you achieve growth like that in an economy like this? Um, we're slightly decoupled um, mm-hmm. a little bit. So some of it was infrastructure, So because that's not a pure DDP, uh, GDP issue. Some of it was the exports, which started to push back on. And then there is an element of higher raw material prices. So in the electrical engineering, we actually pass on cost. So copper and aluminium are sort of 35% up on, right. on where they were last year. Um, but it's, it's good volume growth. Um, it's good export growth um, and, and a little bit of, of material mm-hmm. step up into that. But you know, it, it, we were very pleased with that, that type of growth. It's a fascinating business. Roynet will be keeping a close eye on it. Alan Dixon is CEO of Roynet. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks for having me.